what I'll do is like when I'm trying a new dish or like a new pasta, like recently I did like a lemon mushroom linguine of like this guy I know who forages gave me some mushrooms. I was like, cool, let's throw it together. I listen to like the new music while I do like a new dish and it's like nice. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Barty Strange is one of the most promising and confident voices in music today, and we wanted to have him on the show to talk about his new album, Farm to Table. So yes, that title suggests an artist's interest in food and cooking, and we dive into some of the dishes he's enjoyed growing up all around the world, including in Oklahoma, Europe, and most recently in Washington, D.C. He makes a strong case for Ben's Chili Bowl and traveling to Northern Virginia for Korean jajamyeon and Chinese seafood. But we also find out about what his food life is like on the road while touring. What is on Barty Strange Rider, you may ask? We go into that. I love getting to know this rising star in music, and I hope you do too. Barty Strange, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here. We don't have a lot of musicians on the show, but when I connect with material, I feel like I just got to reach out. You were cool enough. You're on tour. You're very busy to come into the studio. So thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Um, I have to ask, you know, your album is called Farm to Table. We'll get to what that means. But I want to talk about a little bit about your music. And like, in your words, what is your vibe? Describe the way you're kind of presenting music. Do you have like influ- influences or inspirations just for our listeners who yeah. maybe haven't heard you? Yeah, sure. I mean, my vibe, like I am kind of known for doing everything. I mean, I I love all sorts of music and I grew up um, traveling a lot. So, you know, my dad was military and my mom's an opera singer. Um, I lived all over the world and Kind of like music was kind of my way of kind of understanding what people were into anytime I'd move somewhere new. So I think along the way, I just started absorbing everything, you know. Um, eventually, like I got older and started playing in bands, and it started off as like country bands, then emo bands, and hardcore bands, and wanting to know how to make beats and making beats and trying to find ways to connect it all together yeah. until I eventually figured out how as I got older. I love it. And but, you uh, call DC yeah. home now? Yeah, I live in DC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. what a, I mean, I feel like all of those types of bands are in DC right now. Yes. It's such a great music scene there. Yeah, it's great music history. It's kind of why I moved there. Like right after college, I remember picking cities and I was like, oh, I want to go where Fugazi, Chuck Brown, and Beauty Pill are. Yeah. And that's like... DC. That's DC in a yeah. nutshell. I have to say, I mean, TV on the radio is one of my favorite bands, and their influence is profound. I feel I saw t- them play Sine, Lower East Side, like early two thousands, and oh, wow. the rawness of uh, of some of your releases, especially your early EPs and your album Farm to Table is coming out next week. Um, so that's a little more like a studio album. But do you find TV and the radio? Do you connect with them as a as an influence? Oh my god, yes, immensely. <laughs> I mean, dude, I remember like I saw Wolf Like Me performed on Letterman. Yeah. Live, like I was watching TV when I saw that, and I remember seeing Tune Day and just being like, "Yo, that's me!" Like, yeah, I want to be him. How do I? Aww. How do I be him? Because I'd always been interested in music and guitars, but I didn't see another black person that looked like me yeah. playing rock music. It was it was really inspirational. It still is. 
still is. I, they yeah. haven't put a work in like a decade, it sounds like. But. Yeah, but it holds up. I mean, I was listening to Return to Cookie Mountain this morning, oh God, like yes. on the way up here, and I was just like, this goes so hard <laughs> still, you know. It's I think great. Cookie Mountain is probably my my one for those guys. But um, I want to hear about your your the sequence from Free Kelly Rowan to In a Cab from your EP. I just think it speaks to me, that sequence of those songs, and I'll link to those songs in our show notes, but I want to hear about, I mean, I feel Free Kelly Rowland, the title alone says a lot, but what was that song all about? Oh, my God. So Free Kelly Rowland. At first, <laughs> when I first wrote that song, it was just called Kelly Rowland. Um, and uh, it's like, you know, a very like lo-fi hip-hop song in its original yeah. creation. Um, but I ended up having to take it down um, because I sampled someone. They didn't want me to use the samples. Oh, no. I could get into that. I have a whole... Yeah, but my response to that was to re- write a song called "Free Kelly Rowland" because yeah, yeah. I wanted to release the original, and so um, I hit up my friends in Arm and Hammer, and we recreated the song. And I really love how it exists today. But um, that sequence on the record is really special to me. I feel like that record's got a lot of different things yeah. happening, but that particular movement of three songs um, is kind of like a core component to why the record hits the way it does. And, Absolutely, and yeah. and and I'm, again, I'm going to link to your music and and thanks for setting that up for our audience. But let's let, let's let's get into some food talk because for sure. you know, taste podcasts. We're having all sorts of folks come come in and talk about their cookbooks and talk about their you know their fiction that includes food. But like growing up, you grew up in Europe and Oklahoma. Like, whoa! I mean, these are two obviously disparate places for cuisine. What was food like in your household growing up in, in these various locations? Yeah, sure. So um, I was born in Ipswich, Suffolk in the UK. Um, my dad was a military person. Yeah. Um, he worked on planes, and my mom sang, you know? Oh, uh, right And on. so they were both very busy people, so I was kind of raised by everyone on the base or in our church. Um, and, you know, my parents were from the South. They're from North and South Carolina, so anytime I was eating with them, they tried to eat like they were back home. Yeah. But it was funny because we just <laughs> have, like, a side of, like, Yorkshire pudding. <laughs> you know, so it's like it's like you know grits, eggs, you know um, <laughs> eggs with cheese, sausage, and like Yorkshire pudding. You know, so it was always yeah. like a hodgepodge. But that's kind of like how it was always gonna be. You know, that was good foreshadowing for the the rest of my life. You mm-hmm. know, everything is kind of mixed in my family. Was there anything on the on the British menu that you felt you still connect with today? Do you like British food, like or yes. English food? Also? I mean, roast Sunday roast. roasts. I, it's, I think that's an institution that needs fine. to be international. It's a it's, fine tradition. It's beautiful. Every, it's like Thanksgiving every Sunday. It's like, yeah, let's go. Like It's yes. definitely like game birds, like root vegetables yes. or veg, as they say, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but that, that's, that's, that's good stuff. I would eat that every, every week if I could. What about in Oklahoma? Have you ever had an Oklahoma smash burger? Do you know about this thing? Nah, it, it, I don't know. It might not be even be a real thing. I mean, is it an onion burger? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. That's it. It's an onion burger. Yeah. yeah, you know what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. I was like, interesting. Yeah, that's, that's probably changed. my dumb description of it. So were you eating, like, onion Yeah, burgers? I mean, it was funny. I was eating onion burgers in Oklahoma, and I didn't know it was even an Oklahoma thing, but it is. I mean, beef is big in Oklahoma. Sure. A lot of beef. I mean, I grew up in a place where, you know, you buy, like, a cow or a deer, like, or a pig for the year. You yeah. know, and you put it in your fridge and you eat on it yeah. all year. So um, that's I grew up in the country, and that's kind of how. That I was. love that tradition of yeah. buying like a full animal, having that having that freezer in the garage. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> the big, you know, the hearse in yeah. the garage, basically. Oh, right, you know, totally. it's huge. You know, it's like, yeah. and everything's in there. Like years of food. <laughs> I know there's a lot of city folks listening to this uh, the podcast, but if you're out in the country and you have that hearse freezer, I mean. God bless you. What a cool thing to have. Yeah, it's a game changer. I mean, <laughs> um, there was always something to eat. 
Always. Uh, totally, you man. Know. And so you name your album Firm to Table, which is, you know, a trope we talk about a lot uh, on the show and in the pages of Taste. I mean, talk about the original ethic of, like, 2000s-era food writing, like Farm to Table. Yeah. That's what my thought of that word is. But what about you? Like, there's it's the name of your album. Why, why do that? Why name it that? Well, a few reasons. A, I mean, you kind of nailed it, the 2000s-era of food and Farm to Table being popular. Yeah. I do a lot of, like, nostalgia vibes things with my records, and yeah. that's kind of where I grew up. I'm a 2000s indie rock person. That, that was, like, what I first connected to. So that's one reason. But the deeper reason is I kind of think of it as, like, a— rags to riches or like a transition you know i grew up working on farms painting fences very rural area Um, but now like over the last two years like since live forever came out i kind of feel like i'm at the table like i'm working with people i've always wanted to be around doing things like this that i've always wanted to do and this record is kind of like recognizing that transition like there has been a change in my life like what does that mean moving forward and it's a cool metaphor i like that idea that you're working with lots of folks around the table um, are there any music heroes that you'd want to have at your here at your future tables? You to like really extend the metaphor. I'm just going there. Sorry. Yeah, there are. <laughs> who, who are they? <laughs> Let's talk about some of the guys. I mean, James Blake, Justin Vernon, Aaron yeah. Desner. These are people I've wanted to be around my whole life. Yeah, I'm in yeah. love with them. I'm going on tour with the National this summer, and I'm already preparing myself for that because I've never seen them for free before. Ah, uh, you got the laminate now. You'll yeah. be backstage. Yeah, there's yeah. something about the national. The they have a cool uh, crowd. Like I feel like it spans generations. Like yeah. it, they've been in the game for a while, right? Yeah, I mean that's kind of why I, I love them so much. Yeah, you know, the career they've built is pretty inspiring. Well, where are you? Like, let's talk about the tour then. I'd, I'd be curious. Like when you go on tour, yeah, do you have any? food traditions. I mean, I, I actually like the question about what's on your rider because I think the rider obviously is the uh, the stuff that you get in your dressing room. Yeah. Um, so so what, like, do you have any food rituals or what's on your rider? Yeah, I mean, I am very boring on, t- no. on tour with eating. Well, yeah. just because I'm singing every night and yeah. I, I try to keep everything as like similar as possible, you know, sure. like mostly out of fear. I'm like, okay, don't deviate because yeah. it's working. Don't, don't, you know, don't break it. Um, but it's normally very basic, like Nuts, greens, turkey sandwich before I play. I'll eat a big dinner afterwards. After I play the show, I normally find, like, some pho, something hot and yeah. soupy. You know, a big bowl of soup is, like, all I want after a show. So it's yeah. uh, any alcohol? Are you going alcohol-free? I'll do a shot of Jameson before I go on stage. Yeah. Period. That's it. That's you know, it. One, one shot. But, yeah. but the turkey sandwich is an interesting one. I feel like it's, like, a Major League Baseball NBA guy kind of thing, like, having that sandwich before you go. You want some protein. Mm-hmm. You want a little carbohydrate, right? Yeah, yeah. Just a little bit of juice. <laughs> you know? Just a little bit of juice, and then we go. Where do you like to go? You've been touring uh, for a minute. Where do you like to go for food? Do you have any uh, – like, I know you're on tour. Obviously, you can't eat that heavy, but mm-hmm. are there any cities that you love visiting? I am a sucker for being in Texas – and yeah. like Louisiana and those, because that's the food I grew up eating. It's like yeah. huge portions, tons of everything. Yeah, and like, yeah. I miss barbecue. I miss a great burrito. I'm, you know, it's like, so anytime I'm in Texas, Southern Oklahoma, New Mexico, Southern California, mm-hmm. I'm just crushing burritos and burgers and breakfast sandwiches and breakfast burritos. Like, 
It's dangerous. Let's, dangerous amounts. So yeah. we've got Austin Hill Country. You've got East Side. We've got lots there. We've also got Houston. Yeah. So what? Do you have a favorite of the two? I mean, Houston. Honestly, nice. I'm sorry. Houston's so underrated when it comes to the food. The Gulf Coast is special. Sure. Man. Like the New Orleans vibe, the Houston vibe, the Natchez Mississippi vibe, the Vietnamese food down there. It's scary good. So it's like that's like one part of tour where I make exceptions. I'm like, I'm eating. We're eating everything. Oh, here, I, you know? we had Jesse Sparks on the show recently. And, and honestly, we talked about Houston as being center of Vietnamese culture in America, Korean yeah. restaurants. You've got obviously barbecue. And of course, let's go with the tacos. Yeah, it's, it's pretty devastating. The Some Alabama the Ice House. Do you know about this yes, place? Yes, I do. I've never been, though, (laughs) but I know about it. Okay, let's do it. So the Alabama Ice House is this bar, outdoor mostly, and then, so it's cool. It's like a cheap bar on Alabama Avenue or Street. I'm not sure what it is. But then you've got the taco trucks in 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 the driveway. Yeah. I mean... I'm telling you, three taco trucks, three different t- styles of tacos. Yes. I love that spot. Yes. That sounds great. I'm glad you're familiar with it. You should seek it out. Mm. Um, what about tour mates? Do you, do you have any band mate, or, um, bands you've been on tour with that you, you go out for dinner with? Anybody, you know, well, fun? Well, when we were on tour with Lucy Dacus, we had some, like, group meals after shows, cool. which was fun. And normally it's, like, super late and you're in, like, yeah. Cleveland, Ohio, and you order a bunch of pizza. <laughs> but, like— it's less about what you're eating, more about the act of just like sharing a meal together. You know, it's yeah. like it's really special. Yeah, but with COVID, like we've we've had to kind of play that safe too. You know, my like, gosh, yeah, right. You, yeah. you you don't want to get it on the on the tour, so you got to be like very careful. I get that. Right. Um, I want to talk about DC. You live there, mm-hmm. and you know you're on the road a lot. But like when you're when you're in DC, are there any restaurants that we can talk about that we must go to? Yeah, people sleep on DC. The food is special. Um, yeah, it's a very international city. Yeah, um, and it's like a lot of things in very concentrated pockets. Um, I would always recommend. The Ethiopian food in D.C. Yeah. Dukum is an amazing restaurant. Yep. Another one called Bukum. Both of those very special. Mm-hmm. Um, Got to get the soul food. Mambo sauce. You know, yeah, Who's yeah. and Oz on U Street is a staple. I eat there every time I'm on U Street. Ben's Chili Bowl. I feel like you got to go. Yeah. Like, whether you like, I mean, it's a chili dog. Don't expect to have your mind blown, but it's no. like. It's perfect. It's exactly what perfection it needs to be. Perfection of a simple uh, of a simple food stuff. Yeah, let's go a, there. It's yeah. exactly what it needs to be. And okay. then but the the real gem of DC, I would say, is the Northern Virginia like Asian food. Yeah, man. Um Vin Key, Eden Center. These are like these places are insane. Like some of the oh. best Korean and Vietnamese and like Chinese seafood I've ever had. It's incredible. Yeah, I gotta say the 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 Korean restaurants in Northern Virginia are, are some of the best in the country. I, I love it there. Mm-hmm. It's it's good call, good call in those spots. Mm-hmm. Um, have you been to Anju at all? I have been to Anju. Crushing. Really is crushing. Incredible. I hope to get Anhel on the podcast as chef there. He's a he's a cool guy. Oh, um, cool. All right, so I feel bad. I didn't name any Jose Andres. <laughs> Oh my goodness! There's so many. <laughs> Respect the guy. Respect what he's doing as humanitarian. Don't need to call out the you know. We don't need to call out the guy with the with the most famous name. You called some places out there maybe smaller. Yeah, a lot of small places. But Rasika, that's the one that I Rasika's would say. cool. DC is very nice. Eric Bruner Yang's got some spots there. Yes. Toki. Yes. Toki. Um. Toki Underground. Toki Underground. Yeah, that spot is 
really, really good. I used to live near it, actually. Did you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I lived on H Street for a long time. He's not, actually, I might have misspoken, so just, like, don't, I think he's maybe left Tokyo Underground, and Eric has a number at Maketo. Yes, that's also on H Street, and that place is out of this world. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely recommend going there, especially if you're coming into Union Station. It's, like, right there. It's right there. It's a great, Maketo's the Mm -hmm. spot. I think that's the one that Eric is at these days, and I gotta gotta show you. You gotta do the the kitchen menu. They do it once a week. What's that all about? um, It's, like, four seats in the back, Kind of like an omakase style thing. Oh yeah, it is out of this world, and you got to call ahead to get it. But it it will blow your mind. I love that it's when bomb. you can have the once a week omakase. It's not like a, yeah. it's like a very special thing. Mm-hmm. Do you cook? At home? I try to. Um, tour throws me off every time I get home from tour. It takes me like a week to even like remember I'm home, <laughs> and then and then I find my groove again. But I cook a little bit. I used to cook a lot of bit. But now it's more of a little bit. It's a little bit because mm-hmm. when you return from tour, I have to imagine it's a bit of a come down. Like you have yes. to like, you know, mentally it's a, it's a challenge, right? You were mm-hmm. on stage every day doing lots of things. Then you it stops, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you're just home. Yeah. And there's you just got to get back in the rhythm, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I do like to cook. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a big griller. Like summertime is yeah. kind of my favorite. Throw stuff on the barbecue. Um, but I used to work at a a pizza restaurant called mm-hmm. Hideaway in Oklahoma City. Oh, cool. And it was like homemade dough, homemade pizzas and stuff. And I kind of got into like making homemade pasta and homemade pizza at my crib. That's and so cool. like I'll make a carbonara sometimes or or whatever that's um, if I have some time. But um, that's what I really like doing. I like carbonara. That's yeah. that's one of those dishes that to bring that sauce together, you have to have some skills to actually know how to bring it together. Yeah, or yeah, some time. Yeah. You know, and it's funny. It's like I always think about like, I make playlists, like musical playlists yeah. when I cook, and um, I, that's something I do miss is, like, make, having playlists for certain dishes. And Ooh, tell me. Let's like go. A, What's your carbonara oh playlist? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so recently I have been kind of, like, I feel like after I make a record, I go on, like, this huge, like, I need new music binge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I've been, like, all over the new The Smile record. That's, like, my new mm-hmm. one. Um, but, like, The Smile, Donna Masal, mm-hmm. um, new stuff from Pink Sifu. Um, I, I've been really into those artists, for example. Yeah. So what I'll do is, like, when I'm trying a new dish or, like, a new pasta, like, recently I did, like, a lemon mushroom linguine. Of like, you know, Ooh. this guy I know who forages gave me some mushrooms. I was like, cool, let's throw it together. And so, you know, it's really not a lot of ingredients. It's a ton of butter. Lemon, yeah. season it however you want. You know, it's chill. Um, but yeah, I listen to like the new music while I do like a new dish, and it's like nice. You know, it's like a forty-minute playlist. It takes me like twenty minutes to make, and then I eat for twenty-five it, minutes, it's, and it's over. That's the guy. I it's mean, so are nice. you are you Bandcamp? Are you NTS? Are you Spotify? How do you find this new music? I have to ask you. Mine, the, yeah. the playlist that I yeah, made. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's on Spotify for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I, I have them all private because they're just mine. But maybe yeah. I should like make them not yeah. private. I get a little scared of playlists because I'm like. Oh, everyone's listening to cooler stuff. Nah, blah, nah, nah, nah. You know, I don't want people to overanalyze my playlist and, you know, sun me. But, yeah. I heard sure. this fact that after 31, you don't listen to any music. I just I read this fact. I mean, that's not true. It's so not true. No. I, I have. <laughs> for, some pe- for some people, probably. It is. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I think for a lot of people, that might be true. You know, people are kind of baked. You know, they, you can yeah. become baked. but You uh, can. But it's, uh, you know, I think enough people are finding new stuff. Yeah, this, you said the smile, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that good record's shit. incredible. Really nice. I'm like, this is like one of my favorite Radiohead records ever. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I like the music criticism. We're going like we're going like sound opinions here. You and I talking music. Yeah. Um, I gotta ask you, um, do you buy cookbooks at all? Are you are you a fan? 
I'm, I'm actually not a big cookbook fan. Okay. I don't buy them. Um, just because I'm, A, I, I acquire stuff too easily, and I will just, I, if I let myself buy cookbooks, I will just have 12, and I won't use them. But I do talk to my mom a lot. Okay. And she has... Many, many recipes that I have collected from her over the I, years. I respect it. You know, yeah, yeah. We, we talk to a lot of cookbook authors on this on the on the show, and, and I'm going to send you some cookbooks first off. Okay. I'll send it to your house. I'll get your address. Send but me some, yeah. Definitely. But I want to – I mean, cookbooks are more than obviously cooking. Like, it's about the uh, history of food. It's about mm. the zeitgeist, the modern history of food. Mm. Uh, is there, like, a, a cuisine that you find – Interesting enough that you want to maybe grab a cookbook because I want to send you the right ones. Actually, yeah, I love hand pulled noodles. Ooh, um, like beef noodle soups. So like Taiwanese, Chinese. Yes. Not to meet this political discussion, just using the words that come to my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's my some of my favorite stuff to eat because I love soups. I love hot noodle soups. Yeah. Um, and you know, I remember when I I was like eating pho like all the time, and my friend was like, "Well, you should." You would like this too, and you know. So, and I love dough, and I love yeah. making pasta. So I feel like if I would, I would like to know more about how to like make hand pulled noodles. And I'm gonna send you vibe, Andrew yeah. Nguyen's The Pho Cookbook. Okay, I'm gonna send you that, and I'll send you some other ones. But I think making your own hand pulled noodles, you make your own fettuccine already. So why not? Right, you know, do it already. I'm like, I want to slap the noodles and do the whole thing. <laughs> you know, um. We ask all guests on the Taste Podcast if you could write a cookbook. So I know you're not a big cookbook guy, but let's just go hypothetical. If you could write a cookbook without the burden of of time, mm-hmm. meaning you have no deadline or budget, meaning you have all the money in the world to write this book, what would that book be? I would – so I don't read a lot of cookbooks, so I'm, this may be redundant. No. But I, I feel like there's a big parallel between like cooking and making music or any art. Like yeah. the, the process becomes super important, right? Like when you're making a record, the smallest things can mean a lot and big things can become kind of small, you know? Yeah. Like, And I feel like when you're cooking, you can also have those like similar choices and similar outcomes where a lot of it is following the rules and then it's also like doing what you think is just going to work. So it would be kind of interesting to like have a cookbook that's paired with records yeah. that are like – and it's all about process, you know? It's like – Kind of giving you some history on how the record was made and also some history on the food. And maybe it could be regional. Maybe it could be tied to, like, a city. You know, it could be, like, pretty interesting. I would love to see, like, punk bands from Chicago, right? Yeah. And just, like, food they ate. And, like, how, you know, like, looking at, like, what was happening in the city around like that time. Like, Big Black and or Tortoise. Yeah. Let's go there. Yeah. Like and just, like, what, but know. still, you know, it's, like, and just tying the music to the food and focusing uh. it on, like, how these things were created and what was happening historically and, you know, why, you know. It I like today. that. So it could be, like, a full breakdown of an album mm-hmm. and then a full breakdown of a dish or a, or a restaurant. Yeah, or a series of dishes and happening in that community or whatever. It could be interesting. Are you a dismemberment plan fan? Oh, yeah. <laughs> do you know those guys? I do. do you know, I, I, I hate to say this, but it's a band that I don't know enough about. That's all right. That's yeah. all right. Uh, not putting you on the spot, I mean, we're at the end of the show, but I, I have to say, like, they're like my favorite DC band. I know they're, they're, they're the best. But. Legendary DC band, Legendary. for sure. It's a interesting and cautionary tale for some. Yeah, Travis Morrison had an mm-hmm. up and down lead lead singer. Yes. Oh. Yes. It's a it's funny. Yeah, I, I'm like I know the hits and I know the stories, but I don't know all the music. I mean the Travis Stan uh Pitchfork Review is legendary oh in, my gosh. in a bad sense. Um but yeah, check out the material. I will. 
didn't realize this would become a dismemberment plan podcast all of a sudden. I mean, we can talk DC music all day. Uh, there's all some day. there's some good stuff. Some good stuff no one knows about too. DC that's kind of DC's thing. Yeah. It's like so low key, you know. Low key great. about food too. And you brought up that yes. point. It is definitely not. It's like Philly even gets a little more, and of course New York and Boston get totally. more. Let's go to DC. I'm gonna see you in DC and I'll hang out. We'll Yo. go to some we'll go to some hand pulled noodles. Yo, if you're ever in DC, please let me I know. I love to do that. Marquis Strange, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. For sure. Thanks for having me. I'm here with producer Pat Stango. What's Hello. up, man? Well, thanks for having me on this side of the glass. <laughs> having here. you, you're, you're in all these recordings. But we we share a love for The Bear, um, which is a new show on Hulu and FX. It stars Jeremy Allen White, uh, Eben Moss uh, Bacharach. And we love this show, Pat. We love it. It's great. I watched this show in two days. Yeah. Over two days. And I, you know what I love about it? I mean, there's a lot of things. I love that it's 30-minute episodes, yep. as all TV should be. All TV should be 30. I like the seventh episode, which we'll get into, which mm-hmm. is like almost one shot. It, mm-hmm. it feels like there's great—it's um, a compact show, right? Oh, it's great. It's so fast. It's the, the episode lengths are compact. The, the, the stories are compact. It's it's perfect. So to set it up a little bit, the show uh, is is based. It's set in the summer of 2022, modern times, post pandemic. They actually address the pandemic, which I think is interesting. James Beard Award winning uh, chef Carmen Carmi Bizzato returns home to Chicago to manage the original beef of Chicago Land, a rundown North uh, River North restaurant owned by his brother Michael, who has committed suicide. Michael uh, is not. Uh, this is there are some maybe some spoilers. So let's do spoiler alert. Yeah, I think spoiler alert right here. I mean, I never get why anyone would listen to a discussion about a show or a movie if they haven't seen it. So, I, spoiler I th- alert. I think definitely spoiler alert, though. You should definitely check out the show if you mm-hmm. haven't listened to it, but don't listen to this podcast if you haven't watched it. And then so, come back. Yeah. But uh, the, the, the the Michael character plays a huge role in the in the show, but he's off camera. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Eben's character, Eben, sorry, I we tried to figure out the pronunciation. It, it, he's amazing. He's from Girls. Plays Richie. Probably a highlight of the show. Yeah, come on the show and tell us how to pronounce <laughs> your name. Um, but this show, to me, um, has tapped into the 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 real the zeitgeist uh, um, of our love of food, mm-hmm. but has portrayed the back of house specifically in a way that has never been portrayed ever before. Yeah, I, I haven't seen. Have you worked or you have you worked in a kitchen? I I've never. That's a good question. I've not worked in a kitchen. I've worked at like grocery stores. Okay, uh, and I've worked around food, but I've never actually cooked for a living. So okay. no, I no, I'm not. I've I've worked one summer in a kitchen. Yeah. The, in a Kmart eatery in Bensonhurst back when I was a teenager. Wait, they had a big K down in Bensonhurst. Oh yeah, and it is now I think a Coles or a Target. I'm not sure. It's cool. a Caesar's Bay, Brooklyn. And I, I used to make uh, breakfasts and burgers. Most, most of the customers were just people who worked in the store. Yeah. And then occasionally, like, a family who had just, like, given up. Given you know, up or, on like, life. Were eating at the Kmart. Did, was there a blue light special, like, blue plate special, blue light special, like, crossover? Um, I don't know if there were any crossover deals where you could get, well, like, get food and get an air conditioner. Yeah, blue or, light special. Kmart's blue light special is, like, famous. Yeah. I love that. We didn't, we didn't really have it. Nothing was special at the Kmart eatery. But this this was, it. oh, really threw me back into into those days in the in the back of the kitchen. I, I you know, I have a cool advantage when it comes to this world um, because three people in my life are, are in deep. Uh, my mm. sister-in-law owns a restaurant in the Jersey Shore. 
and has worked in restaurants for 20 years, and I've known her for about 20 years. So mm-hmm. that's one. And I've wor- written cookbooks with two working chefs, so Dookie Hong and Daniel Holzman. So I've and they are literally working every day as we speak. So I and in and, and becoming very close with them and working on projects, I've gotten a lot of experience. Um, you know, being in the restaurants, seeing the kitchen staff operate and and exchange and and the bear. Um, captures the dynamic mm-hmm. um, of the back of the house uh, world in a way that has never been shown before. I know there are uh, certainly some very high quality films and and television shows about food. The Pig comes to mind with Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. um, is one example. But but really, this is a, a different, it's a kind of a genre uh, defining work. Yeah, it's it's great because it is such a great blend of being super tense and, and, you know, just like high stakes. But also it does in a way feel like cheers, you know, feel like a like a a just like a fun gang that you want to spend time with. But also they're always screaming and always yelling (laughs) and always ready to like, you know, bash our heads in because the the situation is, is so difficult. But then. They're also just fun. It's 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 such a great mix. I know there's and it's like dark in the right moments, but it's it's fun and life lively, and it and it ends. Um, it's sort of getting to the end because I think the the, the climax is it, it asks a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. The series climax, the season climax, the end of it. Um, I want to get into one thing about um, the way that um, Sydney. I, I feel like that character, her character, is extremely important mm-hmm. to the f- to the show, but also to like capturing the realistic world of kitchen life. Well, she's like the you know every show has to have like the audience surrogate. She's the new person in this gang, so we're sort of like seeing everything through her eyes. And uh, one thing you know, like what's great about her, and and also great about uh, Carmi, the lead Carmi, character, yeah. is they get to be the the high-end culinary world people mm-hmm. who then come into this shop of, like, people who've worked there forever, and you got your uh, that character, Richie, who's been there forever and is a huge scumbag. So it's mm-hmm. like you get that mix of, you know, high culinary, you know, uh, four-star, five-star. I don't know how many yeah. stars restaurants go up to these days, but <laughs> many. many-starred restaurants. Yeah. And so her character and Carmi get to be the ones who, like, come into this place with this like gang of misfits. It's a great point, Pat. I think that having the the foil characters there is is really really big and and, and the fact that um the uh, AO character has uh worked at, you know gone to the CIA and they actually name checked the Culinary Institute of America mm-hmm. and and has f- stalked essentially uh, uh Jeremy Allen White's Carmi character mm-hmm. uh who you know Carmi it was a food and wine best new chef it's name checked which is cool because that is actually a real thing that is very coveted in the industry and very important. Mm-hmm. Um, has also worked at Noma. They talk about that specifically. He's worked at Noma, and then he worked at a place in New York. Uh, and there's a great flashback scene with Joel McHale playing this like psychotic chef. Yes, uh, and hopefully future seasons will feature more of that flashback because that you know it might be Eleven Madison Parkish. You know, it might be it, it felt like a very New York. Um, so did that plan. ring? Did that ring true to you as a you know a deep? Deep in, in it, food guy. <laughs> when he's getting just reamed out by the Joel McHale chef, and it's like you're worthless, you're shit, like this. So that's what you. That's what it. You have to do. In fact, that's pa- what happens. Pat. To, in fact, uh, just today we're recording this on in, in early July. Eater released a, an article about uh, the Blue, Blue Hill at Stone Barns, an expose mm-hmm. about the Chef Dan Barber and about some of this very similar behavior in real life, not fiction, but real life of a man 
will work in the line and who's yelling at his staff and humiliating. They use the word humiliation. So to Whoa. answer your question, this is absolutely par for the course um, for kitchens. Now, we talked to, you know, Andrew Friedman recently on the podcast and like, you know, he's worked in, in covered restaurants for a long time. And essentially, I think he's like, this is just part of the industry. He's not condoning any violent behavior or bad behavior, but he's also saying in a sense that this is part of working at the highest level. Um, so there are people, I think, who think this is just part for the course, this type of behavior, this yelling. I'm speaking not for Andrew, speaking just right, in right. general here. Yeah. Right. Wow. I never think of that. I've, I've been to Blue Hill once. It was good. But I, I yeah. wouldn't have I wouldn't went back if I knew everyone's getting yelled at. It's it's like tough. I, I don't agree with I don't think abusive there should be abusive language in the kitchen. If I think there's ways to motivate without uh, humiliation that's just it's just really uncreative. Just, yeah, yeah. You're, when you're yelling, you're just being uncreative. Well in in the bear another thing that's great is like everyone tries to be they try to be nice. Like all of these characters, even Richie, who's a is you know, your local scumbag character, <laughs> like they're endearing, and Carmi definitely tries to be, you know, not one of those chefs. And, I, and and then we see how, like, when things go sideways in that episode seven, he reverts to being exactly yes. everything that he's tried not to be. Everything. He's yelling, he's cursing at everyone, everyone's freaking out. But but for the most part, the characters in the show, you, they're likable, and that's a terrible word. Whatever. They're real. Likeable, they're relatable. They're, they're relatable, and they're like trying not to be awful. Yeah, they are, and I think that there's genuinely humanity um, in the even in the Richie character, who who mm-hmm. has a lot of bad characteristics. There, I agree with you. Oh, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. Uh, I'm the, from Bensonhurst. I, <laughs> I know Richie. Richie's around. Um, a couple other notes I have. I really like uh, the inclusion of Alanon and and the fact that. This show is not, um, you know, peddling in cliches and trite, trite behavior from the sh- from the main chef character mm-hmm. from Carmi. You know, Carmi doesn't drink on the show, mm-hmm. and Al Anon isn't Alcoholics Anonymous per se. I might be being imprecise with my language, but it's more for Al Anon is for the family members mm-hmm. of alcoholics and, and 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 people in recovery. So he's going to these Al Anon meetings, and but he's not like. His behavior on the show isn't falling into the bad boy chef behavior. Right. Or isn't you may look at him and think maybe uh, this is a, one of those typical chef characters, but he's not. He's exhibiting. He's already like broken enough, mm-hmm. right? That I don't think there needs to be a narrative about him like in recovery or blah blah blah. Right. I right. think that's smart. That's one part I, I feel like sets it apart from other like chef type shows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they they don't go just like he's the he's the. You know the genius that acts like a jerk, but you gotta love that he's a jerk because he's also a genius. He's not burnt. He's not the burnt guy. The burnt guy is like one one note, and it doesn't really work for me. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of my peers in food writing, I think, have have enjoyed this show, and I hope more food writers actually will will watch it because, like, before sandbagging a restaurant for X Y Z, you should definitely realize that this is a crazy industry, right? How, how do the uh, the beef sandwiches look to you? They look pretty good. Like, I'm not a huge fan of that style of sandwich. I'm not a big cheesesteak fan either. If I okay. visit Philly, I'm more of a roast pork guy. Mm-hmm. So it's not really my food of choice. I like – so a couple of the food details are cool. And Maddie Mathis, and it must be noted, who plays a really 
like kind of a limited role, but a really important role in the show. Um, he's a friend. He's not really cooking. He, Matty Matheson, the chef, um, famous chef and and proud Canadian. Mm-hmm. He um, did also. He's a producer, and he did a lot of the food consulting on the show. I believe he was behind a lot of the the plating and a lot of the the kind of vernacular used in the back of the house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I like that inclusion. But I thought like roasting whole chickens. Like they're roasting like thirty five whole chickens at a at a takeout Italian beef restaurant. Like. That's an interesting little point. They're trying to make it a little bit nicer. Mm-hmm, so I think mm-hmm. the food and there's a whole plot point around a risotto and short rib recipe that or dish that is that is written about by a by a food critic and kind of gets into that, that delicate dynamic when when writers pop in and write about restaurants mm-hmm. and meltdowns happen. This is actually real life. Mm-hmm. This has happened in New York where a restaurant has received glowing reviews and uh, the next week it's closed. This has happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So or it's too much success. It's too fast, too soon. And that's part of the narrative here that this dish shouldn't have been placed on the, the menu. But one, that the head chef did not agree with the decision to put on this dish that happened to be served to a food critic. And it all hell breaks loose literally in episode seven, which right. is the highlight of the season. I mean, the at the beginning of the season, when the uh, Sydney character was suggesting, oh, we got to do takeout, we got to do takeout. I was like, yeah, you got to do takeout. It's sandwiches, of course. Do, what could go wrong to takeout? And I was like, oh, that's what could go wrong with takeout is, is you just have too much too much takeout. Too out. much, and it shuts down the uh, it shuts down the system, and it, everything boils over. I mean, when when those orders, and I love that it's like the the paper printouts just never stop. Me and my wife and I were watching it, and we were so stressed out. Oh yeah, watching those orders come in, we were just we were yelling, "What are they going to do? They have to make two hundred fifty sandwiches." I mean, it's not an original thought, but it's definitely the uncut gems of uh, of, oh, yeah. of food of food of food TV. I mean, it has that that, that stress, and I think credit needs to go to Christopher Storer, the showrunner, who uh, is behind. I think some pretty impressive television. Like he worked on Rami mm-hmm. uh, as a producer and director on, on many episodes there. He also uh, directed Hassan Minhaj's um, Homecoming King, which is one of my favorite um, one-hour comedy specials ever. It's mm-hmm. incredible. And so the fact that this this Christopher Storer uh, has taken food and and used the kind of Rami lens. And Rami, the way it, it kind of engages with the Muslim-American community mm-hmm. – in New York and um, dive, you know, builds the world, as they say, right, of this Muslim American community. He's done a similar feat um, with a back of house of a restaurant. So I think mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen Rami, but this is one of the bear is so good that it now makes me want to see everything that yeah. he's done or the people who've written it have done. Yeah. I think he's he's done something uh, that was very hard to do, which mm-hmm. is make uh, restaurants not be corny on television because mm-hmm. it, it's a pretty corny, trite you know, industry, right? Right, when, right. When, when, when you write about, I mean, Bourdain is the only one who really who got it in, mm-hmm. in, in some ways. Well, it's, it's, what's cool about this show is that it is a, it's not supposed to be high end dining. It's not supposed to be the genius chef at a five star restaurant. It is a local neighborhood sandwich shop. And mm-hmm. I think that's why, because it, again, it feels like, a kind of old-fashioned working-class show that, you know, it's like Taxi or or Cheers or one of those shows where you get mm-hmm. to see working-class people doing 
You know, like it's not. A, and I think nowadays so many shows are about people in media or listen, we're doing a podcast, but I can't watch another sitcom where the main <laughs> characters are podcasters. Mm-hmm. It's nice that the bear is just people making sandwiches. Yeah. And I'll add to that. I like the backdrop of the sandwich, but then we find out there's more to the story. And mm-hmm. the reason the show is called The Bear, and this is a spoiler, but the last episode concludes with this idea that the restaurant is changing away from a sandwich to something else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I hope you've watched the last episode. I have watched the okay, last good. episode, so we'll see how that goes. Listen, I mean, Richie, I don't know how he's he's going to be hesitant. To, he's been hesitant to every change all year, so let, yeah. let's see let's see what happens yeah. when they try and change up this restaurant. I think the short rib looked so good, by the way. It looked the good. The short rib looked great. Yeah, it looked good. You got to have short rib and risotto. If, listen, if Sydney is making that short rib risotto, you got to end up with it. I, I agree. So we'll definitely catch up on season two when it when it drops in about a year or less, hopefully. And hopefully. Well, well, it's a 30-minute episode. 30 minutes. Quicker. Yeah. yeah, so maybe we'll, we'll get like a, a spring 23 release. Yeah. Maybe it's a short season. Thanks for sharing, Pat. Of course. Thanks for having me. The Taste Podcast is hosted by me, Matt Rodbard. It's produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumber. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>